And so once marketing was shown to have a true skin in the game and had performance metrics like opportunity pipeline and all that, it really began to make sense to the rest of the organization. And it, it also helped create a new class of marketer. So now everyone on my team, no matter what their role is, they have core demand gen metrics as the basis of what we need to achieve as a group. Because even visual designers or product marketers, they have a huge role to play there. And that wasn't always the case. You're listening to Sunny Side Up a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Eric Blaze. Today, I'm very excited to talk with Jay Hinman on the evolution of demand generation. Jay Hinman is the VP of Marketing at Vibes, the most trusted mobile engagement platform for enterprise brands. Jay has been a B2B marketing leader for over 20 years at both large global companies like Opera Software and Moby TV and Silicon Valley startups, such as Lilial, NewMob, and Digital Genius. His focus has been on full-stack marketing leadership across demand generation, product marketing, branding, and positioning, as well as on developing high-performing, revenue-enhancing marketing organizations. Jay, I'm really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Super great to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about how demand gen has changed over the years. Can you share some insight on the evolution of demand gen that you've observed through your own extensive experience in the field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has evolved a lot, actually. I mean, I've been around long enough to remember a time when no one even ever said the words demand gen, lead gen maybe, but the biggest evolution was really how this discipline took flight with the rise first of um, cloud-based marketing automation platforms like HubSpot and Pardot and Marketo. That really changed the game, but really when ABM and revenue platforms like Demandbase and their competitors came in. And I think for me, it was about 2012 or 2013 that was like the inflection point is where B2B marketing became far more analytical and began to be seen as a true revenue center rather than a, a cost center that, you know, sometimes other internal organizations would distrust marketing. They saw us the people who booked the event conference rooms and uh, made the nice coffee mugs and things like that. And marketing really kind of switched around that time, I think. And so once marketing was shown to have a true skin in the game and had performance metrics like opportunity pipeline and our influence on closed one and how we increased pipeline velocity, then all those pieces of the puzzle, the ABM campaigns, the events, the emails, the direct mail, performance marketing spend and all that, it really began to make sense to the rest of the organization. And it, it also helped create a new class of market. So now everyone on my team, no matter what their role is, they have core demand gen metrics as the basis of what we need to achieve as a group, because even visual designers or product marketers, they have a huge role to play there. And that wasn't always the case. Interesting. What was demand gen like before the advent of tools that we have today? Well, I, I would say it was two things. So it was before that we had totally realized that you get what you measure. So when we had this big focus on lead gen as opposed to lead quality, it meant that marketing just needed to open up every single avenue that they could to get a form fill or to scan badges at an, at an event really randomly. People still do that. <laughs> but we did that to really fulfill whatever lead number we happen to have, regardless of whether those leads truly became opportunities or they resulted in closed one deals. And so this is why you had sales and marketing constantly battling, because marketing weren't bringing in enough quality leads, but they were meeting their numbers, but sales couldn't close deals. And so this whole notion of pipeline coverage, if it hadn't been invented, um, it wasn't something that I knew about until even a few years ago. So we're still unlearning so many bad habits. And I find that every time I come to a new organization, there's like something that is like a real holdover from like 2010. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no, we don't do it that way anymore. 
And then, you know, also marketing would kind of take leads in and we throw them over the wall to sales and get out of the way. And so it's kind of a cliche now, but I remember thinking that my job was done once the lead came in and sales took over, you know, so it took a shift in how we measured the value of marketing and our full funnel role for that to change. Interesting. So I'm thinking about how there's the process, but then there's also how you measure success. Can you share some insight on the evolution of success metrics and demand gen over time? Yeah. I mean, first, as I said, the first it was leads, and then we started realizing that it was qualified leads. And then we finally started understanding opportunities and what that actually meant, but we weren't doing the best job you know, penetrating accounts. So we'd like get a lead from the gap, for instance, and it might be some, it might be a junior marketing specialist and everyone would be really excited. Like we got the gap. And then it would take a year to find the next person there to talk to. So this really evolved with the rise of demand base and terminus and six cents and ABM platforms where we could really do sort of a holistic look at the whole account and look at signals and, and, you know, kind of predictive analytics to sort of see what it, what, what that account was telling us, not what that one person was telling us. So now there are many core metrics I focus with on my team, but number one is marketing source or influenced opportunities. And a close number two is marketing's influence on closed one deals. That's great. And can you talk about your current role at Vibes and specifically in the area of, of mobile marketing and engagement? Yeah, love, love to. Um, so we are a mobile engagement platform and we work with large uh, D2C brands in the retail space, restaurant, hospitality, and financial service spaces. And we help them them develop and nurture their customer relationships on mobile and specifically SMS, MMS, push notifications, and mobile wallet. And so I am tasked with ensuring that our target accounts know who we are and that we're a strong part of their consideration set when they're looking to get into mobile for the first time or when they're looking to expand from whatever you know kind of entry-level cookie-cutter mobile platform that they're using today when they really want to move the needle and they want to meet customers where they usually are today, which is on their smartphones, right? Everybody, everybody opens SMS, you know, every, it's like, it's like 97 to 99% open rate, no matter who it's from. So I have a small team of B2B veterans and they, they focus on demand gen, content marketing, SEO, and visual design. Got it. And in your view, in, in what ways does mobile marketing bridge the gap between email marketing and mobile application? That's a good question. So I mean, think about it this way. So two of the most tried and true tactics of the, the B2C or the D2C digital marketer are to send lots of emails and then to get loyal customers to download your mobile app so you can market to them there. So it's like those are two very strong uh, tactics, right? But email open rates and click-through rates, they've been plummeting for years. So the retail industry has dipped to an average 17.1% email open rate and a really kind of weak 0.7% click-through rate. And that's an industry average. So email is therefore what we would call a high reach, but low engagement channel. Now on the flip side of this is your mobile app. So it's low reach because not that many people down, download your mobile app, but it's super high engagement. Once you get those people, I mean, they, they're all in, right? So these are like your most loyal and engaged customers. And they're the ones that are taking up precious real estate on their smartphones with your marketing focused retail app. That's fantastic. There just aren't enough of them. So at Vibes, we, we call this gap between high-reach, low-engagement email marketing and low-reach, high-engagement mobile app marketing, the engagement gap. So many marketers that we work with in the retail and restaurant industries in particular, they found a solution in either SMS or mobile wallet or some elegant combination of both. Because like I said, the SMS messages that you opt in to receive are almost always open, unlike email. So like I said, 97% or more of the time. And in what ways does mobile marketing bridge the gap between email marketing and a mobile application? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I mean, this this is how I think about it. So 
two of the most, you know, kind of tried and true tra- tactics of the D2C digital marketer. They're to send lots of emails and then to get loyal customers to download their mobile app so you can market to them there. But the problem is email open rates and click-through rates, they've been plummeting for years. And so the retail industry, for instance, has dipped to an average of 17.1% email open rate and a really, really weak 0.7% click-through rate, right? So Email is therefore what we would call a high reach but low engagement channel these days. Now, on the flip side, this is the good news, right? There's your mobile app. So these are low reach. This is a low reach, high engagement channel because these are often your most loyal and engaged consumers. They're the ones that are taking up you know, very precious real estate on their smartphones with your marketing focused retail app. And that's fantastic. There just aren't enough of them. So at Vibes, we call this gap between high reach, low engagement email marketing and low reach, high engagement mobile app marketing, the engagement gap. Many of the marketers that we work with in the retail and restaurant industries these days, in particular, they found that such a solution you know, that helps bridge that gap is either SMS or mobile wallet or some elegant combination of both. Because SMS messages that you opt in to receive, they're almost always open. Like I said, 97% or more of the time. Interesting. And what is your perspective on the future of mobile marketing technology? And then also, what, what advancements and trends do you anticipate? Where do you see the industry heading? Yeah, it, it's funny because it, I, I feel like we're still really in the early innings year here, you know, even though this has been around for a while, but many are waking up to the fact that being able to engage someone on the device that's always with them versus on a laptop or on a billboard or on a digital ad is so, so much more effective. So I see SMS messages actually becoming more visual and a real growth kind of in engaging multimedia or MMS messages. Um, and mobile wallet offers all kind of synced together, synced easily to your Apple or Google wallet. It is such an amazing channel once you realize how seamless it all is. This will become a key way to drive users into stores or restaurants. And you'll see a lot more of individual segmentation and personalization there to give you an offer that's unique to you and your interests, just like we did on email all those years. Right now, there's a lot of kind of mass blasts and people are starting to realize like, oh, there are segmentation tools out now that I can do almost one-to-one marketing through SMS and MMS as well. And then how are you and your organization navigating the current economic downturn? I think what we're seeing you know, is that the brands and enterprises we typically work with, they're really evaluating as they should what works and de-emphasizing the stuff that doesn't in favor of the things that do. So that means that emails that people don't open or click are being deprioritized, as is mobile app development, maybe in favor of SMS campaigns and mobile wallet activity that people are engaging with, and that helps drive them into stores that had been totally shut during the pandemic. So mobile gives them that reason to do so. You know, And at Vibes, we're also trying to do that same thing ourselves, be really smart about lots of small tests and double down on the things that work and get away from the things that don't rather than throw your money down, you know, the, the proverbial rat hole. And then switching gears here a little bit, let's talk about some good reads. Is there a book, blog, newsletter, website, or video that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I'm glad that you told me that this might be a question before because I had to think about it. I, you know, I, I was like, what's the one book that I've read kind of marketing focus? It's not really demand gen focused, but it's a book called Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. And it's about product positioning. Now, I saw April speak at a conference once, and even at sort of my advanced career stage, I really haven't had an epiphany like that, like I did when I saw her and then when I read her book about this framework that really creates positioning that makes a difference in your campaigns, in your copy, in your ads, in your website. Uh, It's something that so many companies struggle with. So I highly recommend Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. And I think she's got a follow-up that's about to come out as well. 
And then what about some thought leaders? Can you share the names of, of three inspirational people in the B2B space that you recommend we bring to the show? Yeah. Well, I recommend you bring April Dunford at aprildunford.com. I mean, she's, like I said, she's hugely influential kind of in helping master positioning and understanding differentiators for B2B, which, you know, leads to more impactful campaigns and advertising. And a couple others I'd recommend, um, Jessica Brandt, um, she leads marketing at Lily AI, which is my former company. And she's just a phenomenal demand gen marketer. She really gets like both the big picture and everything you need to do, like deep in the weeds to make it all work. And then I would also recommend Brian Finnerty. He's the VP of revenue marketing at Udacity. He actually once worked at Demandbase. I've heard him on some podcasts. I've read some articles by him and he's really sharp, really ahead of the game in his approach to demand gen marketing. That's great. And how can people get in touch with you after this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Write me. So I'm at j.hinman, H-I-N-M-A-N at vibes.com. And I can also be found on LinkedIn. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Jay, I really enjoyed having you on our podcast today. Thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 